how do you get up close and personal with the opposite sex when you're rooted to the spot, when in fact you're a tree? That's one subject that's explored in a new book by Jonathan Drury, Around the World in 80 Trees. My name's Mike Greenwood, and Jonathan has been describing to me some of the ways that trees create the opportunity to propagate and procreate, from the exotic to the extraordinary. Trees reproduce essentially in two ways. They can do that asexually, or they can do so sexually, kind of in the way that we do. So asexual reproduction involves putting out suckers, which are shoots that come from the base of the tree or from the roots, and the baby trees that come from that process are all identical to each other. The advantage is that you can do this quickly, without much bother for the tree. The disadvantage is that every one of those baby trees is identical to the next. They're all clones of each other, which means that they're vulnerable to the same pests and diseases. Can you give me an example of a tree where that's been the case? A great example is the elm tree in Western Europe. The Romans introduced a particular variety of it in order to grow their vines up and down. The Romans were very partial to a drop of wine. Every single one of those trees, being identical to the next, were incredibly vulnerable to what was called Dutch elm disease, which is a fungal disease spread by beetles. So the whole lot succumbed. So if cloning has vulnerabilities, what about the other way, the sexual way of a male and female? Sexual reproduction has some big advantages. You can mix up the genetic information from different trees so that if a pest or disease comes along, you're more likely to have a spread of different traits among different trees. That makes them much more robust as a species and able to fend off pests and diseases when they arise because at least some of the trees will be resistant to different things. So what are some of the techniques that trees use in that dating and mating game of bringing together of the male and the female. There are two ways that the trees do this and they both involve pollen which is the substance that contains the male sex cells that somehow you have to get to the female parts of another tree. The first way is to make masses and masses of pollen, chuck it out, use the wind to disperse it and just hope that it lands in the right place. You've got masses of this biologically very very active substance in the air which is why hay fever sufferers are particularly susceptible to wind-borne pollen. Dispersing pollen on the wind is easy but inefficient. The other way to do it is to find some go-between to do your bidding, and that could be an insect or an animal. And insects and animals need an incentive, and that incentive is sweet nectar that the tree makes in its flowers. A terrific example of a tree that's evolved to use pollinators is the kapok of West Africa. Lovely, towering, statuesque tree. We're familiar with it from the stuffing of the seed cases that we've used for teddy bears and life jackets for centuries. Each of those trees in one night can produce 10 litres of sweet nectar. It attracts bats from tens of kilometres around that come to this sort of slightly sour-smelling flowers and, of course, get dusted with loads and loads of pollen that they take directly to the next tree. Another example here in England is the horse chestnut tree, native to the Balkans but planted all over Western Europe and North America now. Very popular tree because it's got these fantastic cream-coloured candelabras that festoon the trees in late spring and early summer. The interesting thing about those flowers is that they actually change colour once the insect has visited them. And they change colour from cream through orange all the way to a kind of deep carmine. What's the purpose behind that? Well, the benefit for the tree 
is that trees want as many insects as possible to pollinate as many flowers as possible and visit other trees. And if a flower has already been visited, there's no point in having an insect come and visit it again. So the way the tree signals to the insect not to come is to change colour to red, which is a colour that insects don't see very well, so they tend to ignore those flowers that have already been pollinated. So once the fertilisation's taken place by insect or animal or wind-blown pollen, what about the next generation, the bringing up babies, so to speak? What about the seed dispersal? Well, the very last thing you want if you're a tree is for your own children to compete with yourself. So you have to get those seeds some distance away from the mother tree, and trees commandeer all sorts of animals to do that. A great example is the fig tree. Uh, this lovely juicy fruit and you think well why has the tree gone to all the bother of creating this delicious thing and of course animals birds in particular come and eat the fruit the seeds have a special coating that stops them being digested and of course those seeds are then excreted along with a handy little pile of fertilizer far from the mother tree if you've ever wondered why figs are laxative that's the reason Another interesting example of seed dispersal is the traveller's palm from Madagascar. These are fantastic, huge, fan-shaped trees, very, very strange-looking things. Their seeds are bright, bright blue, which is very, very unusual in the plant world. And you think, what could be the thing that is going to disperse these? And what is the thing that's going to be attracted to these blue seeds? Well, it's the ruffed lemur. It's a primate, sort of monkey-like animal, that hasn't evolved as other apes have to see red, green and blue in the same that we do. It only sees blues and greens. So the tree has created these seeds that are bright blue that are particularly attractive to that species. And it levers open the seed pods and carries them far and wide. What techniques can the tree itself use to disperse its seed? Yeah, trees don't always need a partner. Sometimes they find their own ways of getting seeds far away from the mother tree to stop competition. A terrific example is the sandbox tree, very, very spiny trunk native to South America. And it has these seed pods which look a bit like a tangerine. But they have this interesting property that the parts of them dry out at different speeds building up huge stresses inside this structure and when they pop they really pop it sounds like gunfire and the seeds are ejected for maybe 50 meters at a speed of 150 miles an hour when they leave the tree if there's a large stand of sandbox trees on a warm day with all their seed pods going off sounds like a gun battle around the world in 80 trees published by lawrence king is available worldwide at all good bookshops or online at www.lawrenceking.com. My name's Mike Greenwood. The music was by Glenn Marshall, and this was a Wakewood production.